Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Always Forward podcast, and I'm here with my good friend, longtime friend, Mr. Clint Emerson. Do you go by Clint Emerson, former Navy SEAL? Sure. Like retired. Like Ray, like, but you have to you have to say it like Ray does every time. Like it has to be no. like no. Yeah. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't quit. I retired. So you, the guys with former, they just didn't. They didn't do the full twenty, and the guys with retired did. You know. But oh, okay. I think so, he quit. I think so he quit you, early. I quit early. I'm a quitter. At twelve yeah, years, I was right. like, you're still, I, a mar- you're still a marine. I quit. Oh, I guess that's right. Right, you still get that right forever. I'm, that's marines. Marine. Marines are forever, right? Yeah. yeah. Whether you retired or not, with frogmen, no. There's a big distinguishing difference between a former guy and a retired guy. <laughs> you're just you're just a, a washed up dude. <laughs> washed That's up, right. Washed up fag. That's right. Uh, form, former Aren't action guy. Yeah. There you go. Make sure you define that. People well, get upset. Oh, I know. It's 2022. You got everybody's real sensitive. So the reason why I get you on the podcast is because <laughs> a Navy SEAL wrote another book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the punchline it's, it's the rugged life and i dude i love your books man because they're so i mean i guess obviously other than um the the semi-autobiography uh which was just yeah. just was just fun but a lot of your i guess you would call them your books mainly your are manuals right would you call would you consider them manuals yeah, they're kind of my own version of a field manual, an FM that yeah. we're all used to. Yeah, and um, I mean they're just—I mean they're one of those things that you put on the shelf and you like constantly go back. I mean I've like I've bought clients them. I've I've, I've used them for years, man. They're fun. This one is very different, and I'm curious yeah. what was your inspiration for for writing the rugged life. Up till now, as you know, I'd been providing 100 daily skills, and each of those books allowed you to survive for seconds, minutes, hours, even days, right? Depending get off, on the get off the X. Face. Yeah, get off the X and, yeah. and survive, yeah. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, the first book had kind of like covert stuff. The second book was more like big disasters. third book was all about, you know, man versus man or person versus person or they versus they or, or her pronoun their yeah them, whatever them versus it's them <laughs> them them versus them so however you label yourself the third book will cover you as far as kicking someone's ass but uh then i kind of thought you know like wait a minute you know those are all situations that most people who live a pretty normal good life probably are not going to get themselves in those situations right and if they do yes they need to know it but what are the odds of it happening it's pretty slim for the most part do you actually at the same time i'm sure you have with uh escape the wolf which is one of your other companies that you do a lot of the force protection stuff right um so i guess not just force protection you do kind of everything with escape corporate corporate uh security yeah Um, so with 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 all of with that, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, what'd you say? I'll fill it in for you. Yeah, let me fill it in for you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the hundred deadly skills, even escape the wolf, was giving people the ability to survive under crisis type situations, whatever that crisis is. The rugged life is more of a lifestyle 
than I feel like is more necessary these days after getting through a pandemic, right? During the pandemic, I thought to myself, look at all these people, like they don't know how to do anything. And the pandemic forced technology to develop things that made us lazier and more complacent, right? right? We can right. have food delivered to our front door now. Yeah. We can get our coffee order and then you don't have to leave the house. Drive through. Yeah, ever. You don't have to leave the house because yeah. the technology that we're enslaved to. But I think too, people started realizing, like, oh, I don't really know how to do shit if technology didn't work, right? So the rugged life was really triggered by the realization of what people are lacking right now as far as skills, and that's daily life skills. So I, I know I was, was going to ask, so because through the Escape the Work, do you actually have statistics on some of these other getting held up at a gas station or, you know, being in, you know, being in some sort of event versus kind of like what you're talking about with the rugged life, like needing to know first aid, you know, needing, yeah. needing you know, like I'm, I'm going through the book and, and dude, this is a, another great FM. But, you know, do you have general statistics through through that sort of thing? Nothing current. I used to have a ton, and, and a lot of them are spread out in 100 Daily Skills, as you've read. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is if I were to take the big five crises that someone could face, which is travel, right, mm -hmm. Tra any kind of crisis during travel, medical events, right, natural disaster, uh, cyber, right, yep. and then you got man-made, right? Right. So – if you break down, you know, like obviously active shooter would fall under man-made. If mm -hmm. you click on the wrong link, that falls under cyber, but so on and so forth. If you were to list, the, take those categories and then list out all of the different possibilities that fall under them, then yes, the, the odds are you will face one, two, three of those in your lifetime. There's no doubt about it because the list gets so damn big, especially under medical, right? Right. Medical, if you were to list out, you know, all the different disease process plus trauma, like like sprain your ankle. Yes, you're probably going to sprain your ankle. <laughs> At some point. You know, right. so, yeah. So when you list out all the things you could potentially face, then, yeah, the odds are you're going to face one, two, three, four, mul mul dozens of them in a lifetime, just depending on which category. Um, but the big difference between that in the rugged life is the rugged life isn't about crisis. It's about how do I get, how do I create an air gap between me and all of that that's going on around me, right? Like it's still crisis oriented because the more self-reliant you are, the less that the supply chain issues affect you, the less that the economy affects you, the less that, you know, the war in Ukraine affects you, right? So the more you do for yourself, Everything you do for yourself, you're cutting out something that you're relying on. And by doing so, all of a sudden, you become more independent and have a whole lot more freedom. And, um, and that's really the overall objective of the rugged life. And to get people to start embracing that self-reliance as a lifestyle so that they don't have to worry about all this shit we're seeing in the news every day. And, and you kind of like through, through the – you kind of nailed it just earlier is the past couple of years, man, have been – people have really, really allowed themselves to become victimized and just dependent on everything around them. The systems yeah. that's been put in place. I mean, it was like that before, but the last two years really has, you know, pulled out the whole, you know, kind of 
I'm a victim. And all of your books, and including this one, has really, is, is like you said, is a manual for people not to do that, to take back control, to take some sort of information and to go, I am in control of my life. Whether it be, uh, you know, get, whether, you know, you're, you, you get a flat on the side of a highway, how to handle that. Or if you're, mm -hmm. you turn the corner and you're inside of a, a riot, you know, yeah, it's, it's all about like, okay, I am in control of my life and this is the information, you know, these and the, this one and the other ones is the information of how to protect myself, my property, my family, and, uh, and that. So you are, uh, a very smart individual. I know that. Hmm. Um, hmm. but <laughs> I am, <laughs> um, but Duh. did you know every single thing about this book or did you, did you do some serious traveling and research to, um, kind of develop some of these things? Uh, so yes, I traveled and I went to what I feel are experts. Um, I roamed the country, went to people who live on grid, off grid, and then partial. And for those listening that don't understand what off grid, on grid is, sometimes we think of that as I'm just moving out to the middle of nowhere. And that, that's kind of true, but off grid refers to power grid. And so if you're off grid, then you're providing and being your own power grid. If you're on grid, then you're, you know, you're paying a monthly bill of some sort. There's, so, there's a meme, there's a meme of like, I want to be off grid. And there's like a guy that lives in a cave, but there's a land cord that's like going into the, into the cave. Cause he's still connected <laughs> to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the landline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, people have different thoughts on it, but the book isn't so much about going off grid and isolating yourself and, you know, chopping wood and keeping yourself warm every day. It has, it, it really has nothing to do with that. It's more about providing skills that folks that are very much self-reliant, taking those skills from them and going, okay, now how can, how can we apply this to someone who lives in an apartment in Manhattan? How can we apply this to someone who lives in suburbia America that has a small backyard? Right. How can we apply this to then also, those that have chosen to move out of the cities, they've gone and bought a cabin in the woods because of the pandemic, and they really have no idea what they're doing, you know? And so this book applies to all three different environments and then some uh, to include, you know, what's become very popular is like van life, right? Mm -hmm. Which is more yeah. of like a nomadic, self-reliant yeah. world that is super cool. I've even done that and I still do it and I love it. But, um, yeah, you've got so your little, it really you've got your little tactical, uh, 18 van that you've been traveling around. Did, <laughs> did you use that van to, to get some of the material for this book, that trip? Yeah. Yeah. For some, for some of them. Yeah. Some, some of them, I, it was a time crunch. So I just flew in and rented a car, but yeah, I use that van as much as I can for different stuff. It's, it's great. Um, so tell me one of your, tell me, <laughs> we'll, we'll do the top and the, and the low. You're, as you were researching this, what was the what was the low? What was the worst trip or worst worst uh, experience that you had to go do and to get some information for this book? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it was there was any bad, but challenging. There you was, go. We'll go challenging. I went. Yeah, I went and visited a family that live way off grid, northern Idaho, pretty close to like Canada, right? Okay, and. You know, these are people that were referred to me through the Homesteaders of America Society. So I didn't know them. They live in literally the boonies 
and here I am kind of driving into these worlds. And once you got, you know, within 10 miles, there was zero cell phone connection. There was absolutely nothing. And I've started thinking to myself like, wow, I've written all these books on preparedness. And here I am <laughs> going into the middle of nowhere to meet with people that, you know, who, who the hell knows who they are. Right. Yeah. With and, a rental um, car. With a rental car. <laughs> With a, with a rental car. I was, yeah. I was, I was smart enough to get a Tahoe with four wheel drive, which I ended go. up needing. Yeah. And, uh, they kind of gave me like this, it was a post office. It's crazy. It was like this And the post office was equivalent to probably a, a 30 year old trailer home that was sitting right at the T intersection of a, a, a mud road and a fire break. Right. And so the fire break he was like, the guy told me like, whatever, days prior, before me actually getting there, that uh, I'll meet you, I'll come down the fire break and grab you. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I wait and I wait and I wait. And then eventually, you know, I'm looking up the fire break and here he comes and, you know, he gets out and you could tell there was hesitation on both parts, right? We're just both kind of like, you know, who are you? What do you want? You know, even though we know who... You're wearing the right uniform. You're at the right time in the right place. So obviously we're both the right people, but <laughs> it still, was still, still just this bona moment. Fide, bona fide still needs to happen, right? Yeah. Bona fide still needed to happen, which <laughs> so did he, did once he we just got like, through. Did he just pop out of the woods or did he show up on, how did he show up in a truck? He or? had a, he had a, he, yeah, he had a four wheel drive truck okay. and we, we kind of did the acknowledgements and everything. And then he was like, all right, follow me. And so I'm following him up this fire break. And I started wondering, like, do you actually does this guy actually own the land that we're going to go to? Like, you know, cause fire breaks as a form of transportation, isn't normal, like right. as a, as a main throw thoroughway. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, I follow him up and we get to, uh, we pass up one cabin on the right and it was a nice cabin. And then we get to the one he actually lives in, which was st equally cool, but it was a tiny home, right? It was okay. super small. Um, we're talking 300 square feet. Wow. And then, uh, and they, him, his wife, and their son, uh, that special needs, have been living there for, uh, I think they've been living out there for over a dozen years, completely self-reliant. And that, 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 the, the amount of lessons learned they had from going from their 1,100-square-foot cabin that they built to the 300, I mean was phenomenal in the engineering behind the lip, the tiny home compared to what they had. I mean, just using every bit of space and being, everything had a function. Um, you know, it, it was just, you could see, you could see how much they had advanced by yeah. going small and going less, right. Going with less made them more advanced for that environment they lived in. It was, that was probably the kind of the more, the bigger holistic so takeaway with it. But anyway, so why did they go yeah. from 1100 cabin to a 300 cabin power? So they run oh, okay. on solar. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And so, yeah, yeah they, they were able to go basically, um, in, it, they had three, they went basically were able to go to 300 watt solar panels. They had three of them providing okay. 300 Watts for that home. And that's all they needed. Right. Wow. So, they realized the 1100 square feet was still too much space. You know, when you're, when you're doing a true self-reliant lifestyle, all of a sudden it's like, well, Hey, we're trying to power all this extra space. We're trying to heat all this extra space. It doesn't even make sense. Right. Right. 
So they reduced their size down to 300 square feet. And now, you know, you're talking like just 100% efficiency across the board with every little thing they do. Um, it's like the room. But it was just like the room. I think that's like the room that I'm in right now. This is their house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same with me. I'm like in a garage space. So if you think yeah. of like a, a, a little, you know, probably a, a, a deep one car garage, that's probably, you know, your 300, you know, it's a little deeper than your average yeah. one car garage would be 300 square feet, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they were the happiest people, you know, all smiles, everything they did. And it's not, you know, like, hey, they went and bought lumber and built their cabin. They literally cut down trees and milled their own boards. And this was the other piece I thought was just, I had never heard of this, is they have these brackets that will attach to a chainsaw. And I purposely put it in the book. Because I was going to say, like, that's, that in, a, that's in the book. Yeah, it's a phenomenal yeah. idea. A chainsaw mill, right? Wow. So once you cut the tree down, you strip all the branches, you can use that chainsaw cutting that tree, you know, vertically, you know, and creating boards. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you look at what he's built or both of them, what they have built and you go, how many damn trees did that take? And how long did it take? It was like better part of a year, mm -hmm. um, to build their first one. They lived in a tent for a year and keep in mind, this is Northern Idaho. That's crazy. And chopped down trees, milled their own boards, and built the first cabin, which was 1,100 square feet. Okay. Now, of course, once they did that and they were able to build a 300-square-foot one, it went really fast because they had all the resident knowledge and knew exactly, yeah. you know, they knew Exper exactly what they were experience, doing. Experience cuts down a lot of time. No doubt. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, they were they – were, it was a very um, – there was moments there because they had been isolated for a while and they don't get visitors. And so, you know, it wasn't bad or it wasn't a horrible experience. It was just, there was that initial awkwardness, <laughs> you know, and of course me, I show up and I'm kind of looking around like, you know, what's really going on here. <laughs> I remember, uh, I went, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I just needed to use the restroom. So they had this outhouse but I was like, hey, I don't want to mess with anything you guys got. I'll just pee, you know, where can I pee safely without peeing on something that you use? And they're like, oh, just go around the corner over there and, you know, beware. Don't worry, you know, what you see around the corner. Don't worry about it. And I go around and it's like all these different animal hides strung up, stretching out, you know. But it was a scene out of any kind of like, you know, you know, what most people probably consider a horror movie with, yeah, you yeah. know animal parts everywhere and hides hanging up and hey man that's the life that's the <laughs> life though what's interesting you that talk, is you talk to me about them being so happy and it's like you know there's something to that there's something to yeah. less is more and i i think that's that, right i think that you know guys like myself and you and you know we we work really hard to build what we to do in our our, our businesses and whatnot um but there is you know, sometimes I have to remember, remind myself that, you know, or I do it all the time, but that it, simple, there's nothing wrong with simplicity and you take away all no. this stuff because I mean, I imagine that the pandemic for them, they were like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what? That's, 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 that's the air gap I was referring to. Like yeah. you go all the way with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, regulations, rules, wear a mask. I mean, none of it applies to you. What's going on with the supply chain? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Right? I mean, yeah. 
nothing it, you have and and it once again it anchors to ultimate independence and freedom and that's i think what people are missing right now you know because we are so handicapped by you know these devices that we all have and it's made us lazy and complacent yeah okay so that's the so how long were you there just a full day yeah full so you day didn't, with you uh, didn't even stay you just you just went there and then bailed and then and then left yeah because really you know when you're going to you know the deal you're going to people's homes you yeah. know and it's kind of like eh, i didn't want to invade but you know, a full day was plenty to see just how much work it takes to be 100% off grid. It's not an easy life. It's a very fulfilling and satisfying life. Yeah. But it's hard work constantly. Because yeah, I mean, everything's on you. You wake up, you get to work, and you work until you go to bed. That's right. Yeah. Every little thing you do is to, you know, either stay warm, stay dry, stay fed. Yeah. You know, your water, the whole water catchment programs that these folks set up, I mean, is is phenomenal because it's free. And I, I really touch on some of that. I touch on the water catchment stuff because that, once again, how do you take people off grid and bring those skills to somebody who lives in suburbia yeah, America? I noticed, right? well, I noticed it was a little bit different than the survival guide. The survival guide's more. It's not survival. Yeah. Yeah. Survival guide's more along the lines like, oh, shit, I need water. I'm going to die. This is like. Yeah. How do I No, this is How do I have water forever? This yeah, this is yeah. just thriving. Thriving right. for free. Imagine like, you know, water catchment. We all have homes, we all have sheds, we all have something where yeah. water falls on it, right? Yeah. And if you've already got a rain gutter system, then you're already got 90 90% of the solution to having free water for the rest of your life. But we don't do it because we're lazy. So one of the things you can do, I think people will enjoy hearing, is there's a I put a an easy math equation in there. You take the square footage of your roof, and let's for simple math, we'll say a thousand square foot roof, and you get one inch of rain. Okay. That equates to roughly six hundred and fifty gallons of free water. Holy right? shit. Six hundred and one inch rain. And we get multiple one inch rains all year round all well, over the United States. Even Nor if you live in the I'm most I'm in North Carolina. Like it's just <laughs> like it's raining all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now if you go, let's say you go to like Arizona's and New Mexico's and the real arid areas, yeah. they still get on average a foot of rain a year. It's not that much, but imagine if you could catch every bit you know, of it. that twelve yeah. inches. Yeah. Right. It would give you plenty. And when you're talking about off gridders, that's water for their gardens, that's water for them, and it's water for their animals, right? Yeah. And and so that water catchment piece, I was like, dude, anybody could if you've got a shed out back, you just put some gutters around it. You got your home, you take those downs those down pipes and you're just gonna redirect them into these food safe water containers you can order off Amazon for, you know, 20 bucks and you can yeah. buy them in like either 50 gallon, you can buy hundred, you can buy 500. Hell, you they make them all the way up to like 10,000 gallons. If you really want your own gravity water system, you know, it's pretty amazing, but you know, simple it, stuff. Simple you know, stuff. I had an idea. Um, so for like people that, you know, I'm, I don't know, you know, if you have dehumidifiers in your house, but I had a, this idea that you could set a dehumidifier in your house and then you know how they have it that you have pipes that you can run outside if you have it like in a garage yeah, or whatnot. The condensation. Yeah. Yeah. So as it as it comes in, you could go out to the house. And I was like, well, how what if I could put this through a filtration system and then run it, pipe it back into the house? So I'm just literally you collecting could. collecting water out of the air and then run it back through the house. Somebody's gonna listen to that and and then 
and then take that as they should. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was yeah. the most challenging or interesting. What's the what was the yeah what was the fun? I guess the most fun one. The you know I want to say best, but you know one of the, the highlight uh, of your you know experience. Uh, probably the other the other one that was really um, they're they're all interesting families, but probably the more on grid family. They're in northern uh, probably what were they probably about two hours north of Seattle, I think. Okay, and so, so also it close, was also basically Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously beautiful terrain all oh, over yeah. that area, and I of see course. why people pick. There's a lot lot of off-grid homesteading going on in that um that northwest area the cascade mountains i mean it's yeah. beautiful every turn you take is a fucking photograph i mean it's right. just awesome yeah um so up there i visit a family that are on grid but they they literally have been she grew up the her house is literally a block from the house she was born in right they they have been living this lifestyle for a very long time and most of it is on the farming side. And so that was really the first kind of piece for me. I definitely didn't know anything about farming. And, you know, and she is a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, stepping back to more macro, when you hear farming, it's kind of boring. But yeah. the reality is, is like a farm, it, it produces things to be sold and make money. Whereas a homestead, you produce things to feed the family. Right. right. So that's kind of the difference between the two. Um, so hers was more of a homestead, but she grew like everything they eat. I mean, she grew it. I mean, it was, I was just blown away and she was doing it with, I think maybe a half acre, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so a very small, I mean, when you talk about the amount she was able to do with a very confined space of a backyard, I was blown away. She had hogs in a corner. Okay. She had a system where the hog, the hogs are, in, the pigs are in one corner and the pigs will move around because they, they, what they'll do is they'll eat everything to include the roots. And they basically, by the time they get done, it's nothing but mud, right? So you move those around and then that's going to designate your new crop area, right? So once they turn it, they turn it from grass to mud, They've uprooted everything so much that becomes great soil. Yeah, right? because they've if, also been crapping all over it. I was gonna say because if you've ever <laughs> seen a if you've ever seen a pig pen or whatever you want to call it, it is literally yeah. just water and mud and like wet soil, like ready to go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And they never they don't ever start that way. I think that's the part people miss is that when you you move your you move your pig pen around, which then creates you know your next crop area. Um, then the other piece was her chickens. So her chickens were in a mobile coop. This coop had wheels. So it allowed the chickens to be free range, right? Eating bugs and hanging out in the grass and doing everything. And then it would fertilize the grass because chicken poop is the best fertilizer on the market. I mean, you can't find anything better. So you hang those chickens would hang out in that area for about two weeks, and then she would move them exactly one square over, if you will, because the, the chicken coop is, you know, whatever dimensions it was, you're moving an entire dimension yeah. over. Um, and so she had this rotation between the chickens, the pigs, and then, of course, how she grew her crops, 
And I was just like, holy crap, like this system that fed her family plenty all year round. I mean, she's got enough where she's giving it away to the neighbors, right? Yeah. I mean, a dozen eggs is like, that's that. I mean, a dozen chickens is a dozen eggs a day, yeah. right? <laughs> so, and then going back and forth between the different kinds of chickens, right? So you have egg laying chickens and then you have meat chickens, right? You're never going to eat an egg laying chicken and your meat chickens aren't going to be producing eggs the way you want them to. So you usually have a little bit of both. Um, or you can just have egg layers and that's it. Um, but here's the interesting part. You live in a neighborhood and you got HOAs, right? People that are putting rules on you say you can and can't do whatever. Well, you can list your chickens as service animals <laughs> that way. Then the HOA can do absolutely nothing about you having chickens. I'm just back there. I'm just back there petting my chickens. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, uh, Whatever brings you calmness and prevents the anxiety, yeah, yeah, that is right. a, that's a service animal. That's yeah. right. And so the other, the other piece, too, is if chickens, chickens are noisy, right? But you can, go, you can just switch to hens. Yeah. Hens, great. You know, they lay eggs and they're quiet. So, but it was really, really cool to see an on-grid, right? So she relies on power for the home. But she's doing, you know, she's got a full-on, you know, farm in her backyard. Amazing. Wow, was she in like what was, was she in a suburb? Was she kind of in the still in the country? Like how did that? How did that? That it that... was. No, nah, she's surrounded by other homes, but all of them have big lots. Let's say, yeah, you know, just kind of big lot homes, not it big was, homes, but just big lots. Yeah, so it wasn't like, a, you know, a neighborhood we see, you know, in like your area or my area where, where we're currently at. Like house, no, not for them. Like, like house yeah. on top of house on top of house. Right. Yeah. Now, that would be somebody we both know, which would be Pat McNamara. Yeah. So he lives, you know, in a what we would think of a, you know, Sub a major sub developed yeah, suburban, suburban developed, area. Yeah. 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 And uh, but he's got he's got chickens. He grows a lot of his own food. And uh, yeah, and he, he does it just fine. And he's had to actually kind of list everything as service animals <laughs> so he could get away with it in his HOA. He's, um, he's a pretty slick, so the point being dude yeah so you know once again you know like my goal wasn't to say this book isn't to go and tell everybody to move to middle of nowhere it's like no 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 you can stay where you're at and just implement some implement of this great some stuff, implement you know? some of these things to be less reliant on the system being right you know, being and, more self you know self-reliant which is actually exactly it's on the it's on the cover of the book <laughs> <laughs> that's right and i the, the most important part is it's the rugged life but in the subtitle the modern guide to self-reliance modern right i'm not saying throw your cell phones away throw everything away and you know start living like a caveman nobody wants to do that that's ridiculous modern means hey you're still going to have a cell phone but you're just going to use it in a more self-reliant way rather yeah. than you know, it's, you it's, know ordering, it goes uh, back to that starbucks thing like, like we were talking about it's like just not being a victim and, and taking control of your life and, and the areas that you have control over you know if you're living in sure if you're living yeah. in new york there's a way to there's a way to be less you know reliant on the on the on the grid essentially there's little yes. things that you can do to be to be a little bit more you know self-reliant um, so in the book, man, the contents, the first content page, I just like, Yeah. I, I, the way that you did it or the way the guys did it, like, it's just, it's just great because, um, it has that little bit of like, um, the hundred daily skills aspect of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like be your own, yeah. be your own RTO, be your own first responder, 
Um, but then it has the other things. But I just, I, it struck me because I could literally print this out into like a poster and hang it up somewhere. And it would be like a reminder, all these things, you know. Yeah. Uh, be your it's own really farmer. It's really the 10 aspects. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the 10, what I found, because this was the hardest part of building this book was, what what am I narrowing this lifestyle down to right. in the form of chapters? And each chapter are novels and novels of books out there. But nobody has taken all of those books and all that knowledge and consolidated it into a more holistic, basic manual. Yeah. And that's really why, yeah. So one of the things that struck me, so I've got a couple, I've got like some posty notes in here as I was going through it. Nice. Um, but Love it. one of the things that I, I've always been a big fan of is the container homes. So do you, yeah. is that something that you just have kind of been exposed to over the, over the, you know, over the years or something, or did you actually go and, and look at some container homes and, and do some research that way as well? Both, you know, so I remember showing up overseas, you know, after, yeah. uh, we, we, after we, we had established, we lived in those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I lived in them, uh, you know, the ones that were set up in Africa, the ones, uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq. I mean, you, you obviously, if you do enough deployments, you live in a bunch of these prefabricated, you know, container homes for those listening that don't know what we're talking about. Look at the 18 wheeler driving down the road. As you listen to this podcast and that big container on the back, you can turn into a home, you can turn it into a gym, yeah. you can turn it into whatever you want. And so pretty amazing. Yeah, I, you know, you just go scroll, scroll through social media and just search searching this or Google search this. It's there's some I mean, yeah, they've gotten crazy with these container homes. I mean, beautiful, beautiful homes. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's an inexpensive, cool way to kind of have your own little fort because yeah. if you stack these things and, and create a square almost you yeah. can have this cool like yeah. you know home with a with a with a courtyard in the center and i mean it's in you can replace a lot of the walls with glass and make it really modern i mean there's so many ways you can go with these things yeah it um and and i think the going price for a container for a 40 foot container is like 25 to 2500 to 5 grand per container yeah. And then, and that's yeah, just for used ones. Yeah. Just for, for a used one. And then just, and then, then you start construction. I and mean, that's what we did in Afghanistan is we got a bunch. And uh, well, as the, as you know, if we were at a, a very remote fob and then as supplies would come in off of a, you know, supply run, we would just can keep the containers and then start fabricating yeah. them out and building little, like we, I mean, we did crazy stuff, desk and then like, you know, bunk beds and, or have your like loft bed and then your desk is underneath and then all your gear and having living rooms. And, uh, I mean, you, yeah. you guys did the same thing, I'm sure. Um, yeah, the, probably the one that I thought the, the one that I did completely on my own is when I was at the NSA, um, we needed like extra space yeah. on, uh, Fort Washington. So Fort Washington has all this land, but we needed to rapidly get get a get something up and running, right? Yeah. And so I found this company out of New Jersey, and keep in mind this is mid to you know this is like two thousand five, two thousand six. So the prices aren't going to be accurate, but for a brand new forty footer, completely climate controlled, yeah, with pedestrian doors on the side and windows, and it was all cool. And we loaded it out. That particular one was loaded out with Vidmars on the inside, like okay. cool like drawers and stuff. Yeah. Um, with butcher block tables. And I mean, it was, it was just designing. It was fun. Uh, total for that thing completely. And that was even delivering it and like 
putting it on the ground and plugging it in was uh, 40,000 bucks. Damn. You know? All done. Yeah. And it was all done, ready to go. Showed up. I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't do this, What's right? What's crazy is like yeah. the, the built out vans. <clears throat> You can build out a van now that's like one hundred twenty, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, you yeah, especially I mean? post to nine. Yeah. yeah, mine is the one I've got is now selling for about that. I didn't, I didn't buy it for that much, but yeah. now they're selling for that much. Yeah. So the next one, so the next one, I mean, I'll, man, there's so many good things in here, and I, you know, I couldn't just go through it all. Um, but the next one that I did was um, basically down to the poison. But then I got, I started looking, I was like, shrooms. And I'm like, I wonder if Clint had to um, do shroom, taste a bunch of shrooms uh, to put this. <laughs> Did you go on a shroom trip when you went in there? And uh, I thought I, about I think it that, several times. I think that, uh, I think that's one of the biggest, um, you know, you're talking about living off the grid or living on the grid or just living in the woods in general. There are so many plants yeah. that are medicinal for good purposes, and maybe it's for, you know, then not for you know, like what's the uh, the kid that died uh, <laughs> in the bus over there? I don't remember that exactly the name of it. I know they just left. They did. They just took the bus out of that park because so many people were going to go see it and dying in the same way they were getting across the river or getting mauled by a bear or whatever. Um, Mark, oh yeah, Mark, do you remember that movie? It was the, the kid who, like, gave up. He's like, I'm going to go live off the grid. And he, like, went to some park. Yeah, yeah. And, died. and then they, just, like, last year, they, like, helicoptered his the, bus out. Right? Yeah. They he was living in that movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking what about. What was it? Yeah. Into the wild. Into the wild. Yeah. Into the wild. Yeah, but yeah, he died. Right. He died. He died of poison. He poisoned himself with some. That's right. Yeah, he, he ate the wrong thing. Well, something. Um, anyways, so. so it's what easy was, to get him mixed up. Yeah, so what, what was your kind of inspiration or what did you do there? Did you go on a mushroom trip or did you just go talk to some really smart people? <laughs> that was definitely talking to – that was a combination of interviewing with these families. Um, yeah. And the takeaway there is, is you know, foraging, right? Yeah. I mean, like – so the big – kind of the other big macro way of looking at this book is, you know, when you get into kind of self-reliance, it doesn't necessarily have to start with food even though that's kind of what we're talking about. It also starts with just being more handy, yeah. you know, just doing things yourself with your hands. Foraging is definitely with your hands and knowing what is good and what is not, you know, out there. So I put in a quick poison test um, so that folks can, you know, if you don't know what it is, but it looks edible or you think it's edible, or maybe you do know exactly what it is, but you still want to test it anyway, yeah. which is always a good idea. Um, I put the poison test in there. Um, but foraging, hunting, farming, building, right? Yeah. So if you're not good at farming, you better be good at hunting and foraging. <laughs> right. And if you're not yeah. good at those two, then you better be good at farming. Right. And everyone needs to have some building basics, really. That's really what it boiled down to because when you – and once again, this is worst-case scenario uh, people, right? Yeah. People who have lived completely out there. You know, if you if you ask them what do you what what are the most important aspects of being self reliant? It's be a builder, be a farmer, be a hunter. You know, and because, mainly because the seasons, right? The seasons will drive the hunting and farming. You know, there's times when there's just you there's nothing to farm, right? You got to go hunt, or you got to go forage, right. and vice versa. So, yeah. It was all research-based and a lot of uh, intertwined into each chapter is definitely the interviews with these families. Um, the next one is, and I, I couldn't, you know, I love the, I love the 
hundred dollar skills books, especially some of the funnier things in there, uh, like the prison purse <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the, 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 one of the best ones that I can, and I just had a picture, you know, we've been friends for a long time and I got to milking a goat. I'm, I just had a picture of, of Clint <laughs> out there milking some goats. Did you milk a goat, Clint? I did mess with one and I was like, how did my fingers go to squeeze the, t- the teat, the teat. It's right out of that movie, man. What's the, what's the one with, uh, he's sitting at the dinner table, the Fockers. Oh yeah. yeah I, that, got, I got nipples. Yeah. Fokker. You milk me. yeah yeah that's that's all that was running through my head and i was probably joking about the time but you know it's uh so it's not that everyone i've never milked a goat goat just so they can yeah once you um if if you jerk off on a regular basis and depending on the technique you use the same thing go really isn't all that yeah it's not that bad you know okay you know if you're using a lubricant and you're really working it towards the head yeah you're really doing the same motion on the teat of the goat you know and that's how you get the milk out (laughs) that's how you get the milk out yeah nice well good and the biggest thing i i the other piece I didn't know is so, once you so kind of every put guy this... out there, every guy out there can at least <laughs> yeah. if he gets some farm animals, at least he'll have some milk. <laughs> That's right. Cause if you know how to milk your own, uh, uh, big, whatever it is, nipple. Yeah. Then large, you will know large how to nipple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyways, you're, anyways, I interrupted you. Yeah. You were saying. Yes. As we, uh, digress. Uh, the interesting part too, it's not just take a goat, you know, throw them in a stall where it, there's a lot of like, you know, nurturing that goes on, you know what I mean? You got to like these goats, you know, they don't just, it's, it's, it's not voluntary. It's something you have to train them to get used to. And you got to talk to them any, no different than probably how we all talk to our dogs, right? Yeah. We love on them. We pet them. We let them know they're doing a good job. And, you know, and I think, you know, I never really correlated that until I, I never was around would, some of these animals. I never would have thought that. Yeah, you, you're just kind of they're they're part of the family to a certain degree, and so you're you're talking to them, you're keeping them calm while you're uh, while you're taking what you want from them. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it. I guess in, in it, you know, it's kind of like a horse, right? You don't want to just manhandle a horse. You kind of it's a it's a when you work with a horse, it's a partnership. It is. They're relationships. All of all of its relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So that that makes sense. The other one was uh, was the pigs, which you actually brought up on your own because I I think that that's one of the most probably the one. I mean, a lot of this stuff is unknown, but that's a really unknown one is the is the pig pen and what they do to the ground and soil, Um, and also with a pig pen, um, if you're homesteading, it's a great way to dispose of a body. <laughs> exactly. They do eat everything. Everything. To there'll be absolutely nothing left. That is for sure. Yeah. Um uh, another thing that I think that obviously we you and I overlook it, our demographic overlooks it is the gun overview. The gun safety, mm-hmm. the hunting, um, you know, side alignment, side pitcher, different types of, you know, rounds for different types of game. Um, by no means am I an, you know, an avid hunter i don't think and and i don't think you are either we're not neither of us are any cameron haynes or anything like that um but we understand the opera we understand this operation i think that majority of people don't so i thought that it was it was interesting that you did that um but what was your what what was your basis for that because it obviously it's not very uh militant but however uh safety like you start out boom safety first it's like that's it's right. The, and maybe that is part of your, 
military militant background. Yeah. That we're like, we're going to start here. But anyways, your thoughts on uh, gun overview and safety for the general populace of, of uh, homesteading or being off the grid? The, the hunting piece um, is like kind of like a, it's, it's, it's necessary for those that do live truly off grid. I mean, there's no reason not to. I focused on one, just keeping it simple, mm -hmm. right? A lot of avid hunters may read that section and be like, oh, why did he pick those rounds? Why did he pick that bolt action illustration? But, you know, keep in mind, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible and fiscally sound, right? I didn't yeah. put semi-automatic, I didn't put a semi-automatic rifle in there for a reason, because we can all go grab dad's old bolt action or grandpa's bolt action and get the and job put done. That thing to use yep. for free, exactly. Um, the rounds I chose, I know that, you know, as you and I both know, going to shot show, you know, it's like a bunch of high school kids. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, don't even I wanna, stuck I, with, I don't even want to crack the egg open on, on like, well, you could <laughs> and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. Okay. <laughs> what I, yeah, I know. And that's why I stuck with, Hey, I went with the, you know, mostly NATO rounds because, on the outside world, they're readily available, they're cost-effective, and we know they work, right? Yeah. So I left it very simple in that chapter because it's for someone who just wants a general knowledge. Uh, everything from sighting in. One of the challenges, though, when you're writing, and you know this, is yeah. like, how do I say the most with the least amount of words and it still makes sense, right? right? And it still deliver the message. And so... Well, that's you what know, you want, right? You I tell wanna, you, when you're... You want to deliver the message in the least amount of words possible. That's right. Yeah. And when I'm doing that, you have it's it's a it's that is the hardest part with Hunter Deli skills and with any of the books I've done right now because I pride myself on simplifying complex shit. Yeah. And so and then that means also using words that keep it simple and not getting too crazy. And so when you talk about sighting in a rifle, <laughs> like explaining that, uh, it becomes a big pain in the ass because it's real easy to nuke it. And so I yeah. was like, okay, I'm not going to nuke it. We're going to keep it simple. You're going to get close to the target. You're going to pull the trigger. <laughs> then you're going to slowly back up and you're going to keep pulling the trigger, yeah. making sure everything is sighted based on what you're looking through, you know? And so it's, uh, yeah, but hunting is just cool, right? I mean, obviously bow hunting has gotten really popular and I debated putting it in there, but then that would have required, um, you know, when you talk about scent and, stealth and camouflage and getting danger close to an animal uh it's it's it was i'll save that for potentially the next rugged life <laughs> okay so did yeah. you did you go i mean you did a great job by the way explaining all this the siding for your rifle the safety um you know shot placement for ethical kills like you, it you know it's, even though it's small yeah. it, it is very clear uh, especially to a beginner um did anybody Good. that you come across uh and what's the, I know that making, you know, reloading your own ammo and making your own ammo, like for the people that do it on the grid, it's expensive hobby. Mm -hmm. Did, did you, yes. did you run across anybody that's, that is truly doing, managing that on their own? Yeah, several, several, uh, two of the families, um, you know, they, they definitely do that and they'll admit, okay. So you hit on something that is hit on in the book. Um, going full on self-reliant is not cheap, right? No aspect of any of this is cheap. <laughs> right. So now can it save you money in a, in the long run? Yes. But 
12 chickens versus a carton of eggs, you're, you're going to spend less money on the carton of eggs, right? Right. Same thing with bullets. Buying your bullets or then buying everything you need plus the materials to make your own bullets, well, it's probably cheaper to go to Walmart and buy your bullets, right? So uh, it's a give and take situation across the board, but you have to take, when you take longevity into consideration, that's when you'll actually make your money back. But it's not going to happen just because you decided to be self-reliant at home in your suburban house. Right. Uh, and then, yeah. the man, before I do the last one, because um, it's, it's personal to me, um, the second to last is mil or, uh, medical. And holy shit, man. Yeah. Like, that right there is the game changer if you're off grid and we and we know that from you know base being on mission or being overseas or anything like that like that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that i mean it could be anything from just a guy falling down or falling off slipping on patrol and falling down on a cliff or something which we've had guys that do that and they've broken their backs and this and that and now we're in a really shitty situation but you know apart from the poison test the medical aspect yeah. of being your own first responder um, did you have any stories or anybody tell you or anything that happened while you're in your travels of, of learning things? Yeah, I found it interesting that most of them, um, have really a, an extensive, like Kazavac medevac plan. They don't even know that that's what they've done, but, but that's, that's what they've, what done, they've done, right? Cause yeah. they, yeah, they'll tell you like, well, you know, 911 works, but we know that it's going to take, uh, a helicopter to get in here. <laughs> Uh, and it's going to probably take 30 minutes or an hour plus, right? So they admittedly knew that that means that my level of education as it relates to medicine and, and being a first responder is important. And so distance to a hospital or your distance in proximity to someone coming to your rescue drives the level of education you require. Yeah. Now, obviously, the further away you are from help, the more education you better have. And so the medical chapters and being your own first responder is putting people, like, to make them think, right? Hey, a nine line. Come up with your own nine line and then put it everywhere, right? If you exactly. have a shed, put your nine line in the shed. If right. you if you in the kitchen, you're going to have your nine line. If you have a nine line in your backpack. You're going to have one in, you know, if you carry a fanny pack. It's going to be everywhere, you know, and so, and what that does is that's kind of like the beginning of forcing, you know, your Kazavac medevac planning. And then we get into actual, you know, current acronyms like March yeah. uh, that have been developed over the years in combat and defining it and then giving them examples on what you can do at home right now, no matter where you live. Once again, it's not about living in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's about, you know, thinking through these things. And by doing so, you know, there's a certain amount of prevention that happens when you're always thinking about it. You know, absolutely. Like and what, preparedness. What, what happens? Right? You're you're on a hunt, and you you're you're by yourself or with your kid, and uh, you do something, and boom, break a leg, compound fracture, maybe. Um, yeah, you better know how to do some. Got to know what to do. Are you like essentially dead in, in an environment like that? Mm -hmm. So, what did the, did anybody do actual medical training? Was it over over time, or what would you know? That's two questions. So one, what did people do to prepare themselves on the medical side? And then two, what do you recommend people do that, are, that want to live the rugged life? Uh, on the medical side, you know, this is why I, I emphasize modern because, you know, as we all know, every homesteader, anybody who lived, you know, even, even the furthest off grid, they still leverage their phones for education yeah. 
research, right? So it they got they they're part of different groups um, that cover this. They know their neighbors, which is a big deal, right? Your neighbors can be your first responder, and you can be theirs. Um, so talking to your neighbors is you know it, it's always been important, but um, even more so when you live that far away from you know. Uh, a hospital or town. So that's kind of more on the medical side. Now, the bigger piece, you know, like if you're going to be, if you're thinking about going down this path, I say, you know, start with a book like The Rugged Life. It doesn't have to be The Rugged Life, but, and take on some projects, projects you can do right now at your house, no matter where you live. If you want to do gardening and you live in an apartment, you can do a windowsill garden, which I talk about in there. And you can grow your own herbs and use the basil straight from the dirt right into your spaghetti. I mean, there's vertical gardens. There's kits now on Amazon, these vertical garden kits in the corner of your room. You can grow pretty much anything you want. If you can't afford it. Yeah. 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 And if you can't afford a kit, you can go to a discount tire company and say, Hey, I want all those spare tires. I'll take, I'll take six of them and they'll give them to you for free. And then you take those tires and you stack the first one in the corner of your room, you throw in some soil and then you take your potato and we're going to go Martian here, right? Anybody saw the movie Martian where he had to cut up, uh, potatoes and then he used human feces as fertilizer, right? And he started growing potatoes. You can do the same thing minus the human feces. So soil into your tire, cut up your potato, throw it in there. When you see green sprout through, dump another layer, put another tire on top, and then dump another um, uh, layer of dirt, and then put in potatoes. And then you're going to do this this like layered cake system of dirt and potatoes throughout every time you see green pop through and if you get like six tires high and by the time you get there um within how many ever months you're uh, it's all in the book but you're gonna end up with like a hundred potatoes inside that that column of tires that's crazy (laughs) yeah and you know the irish did live off potatoes because it it is a carb it's got some protein i mean uh you know worst case scenario you know what i mean it's it's a it's a, it's not a bad source of, uh, nutrition. Um, but it's also just great to be able to do that in a confined space. You yeah. know what I mean? I was actually, Ali and I were having this conversation. Everybody's talking about food prep and food shortages and everything. And we were laughing, um, because all of, of course, all these companies are like, this is six months of food, dry stores, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, was, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in, you know, in Florida and, uh, and a lot of time, a lot of it spent in North Florida in the Panhandle, um, and that's very country-ish place, even though it's right yeah. there on the beach. But I mean, we grew up. I mean, canning things and and bottling things it was the norm. That was the norm. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know how, how cheap, how cheap rice and beans are, and how easy it is to can those. There's nothing, pennies, pennies. And you could have rice and beans, yeah. man. Like people have been living off rice and beans for hundreds, of, hundreds of years, you know. Right. So it's and that's what that's what I found interesting during the pandemic. I'm sure you noticed it where you live. If you went in the store, all the toilet paper was gone, but the rice and bean shelves were full. I'm like, it's insane to me. There's your. I'm like, I'm good. What happened? I'm good. I got plenty right. of rice and beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last but you, one. You bring up a great point. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Go, go ahead. ahead. I want to. Uh, yeah. I bring so. Up, yeah, the, 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 the bigger point you're making is the norm, your norm when you were a kid and where you grew up, right? Just less than 200 years ago, 
every American man, woman, and child knew everything in this book and then some. That's true. Right? That's and it true. was a way of life. Yeah. And now, in 200 years or less, no one knows a damn thing that's in this book, yeah. which is crazy to me. Which, yeah. I, in a way, makes us very vulnerable. I mean, yes, are we smarter? In some ways. Um, but yeah, of in, course. in a lot of ways, we are very vulnerable. Very, very yeah. vulnerable. And I and I and I also I also acknowledge for those that are going, who's got time for this, right? Time management is definitely a key component to yeah, of course. why we have become technologically advanced, right? If I can buy it rather than grow it, then that leaves me time and money to go do other things, which I agree. But that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is you get to pick and choose things that you can then do and have time for that makes you that much more self reliant. And one less thing that you have to rely on other people for. Right. Yeah. So the last one that I picked out was man. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't see this coming, man, you, you missed it. I, I landed on the health and beauty supplies. And I'm like, man, oh. <laughs> there's, there's, a lot of, the, uh, there's a lot of Johnny Slick's inspiration in here. It's, uh, it did end up like it's, in fact, I'm going to use the videos for that. Like you guys, yeah, right. The we built, we're building some. Just me making some of this stuff, yeah. But because the uh, Johnny, the Johnny Slicks formula, I'm guessing is top secret. I didn't even ask you for it. No, but it is top. Secret, I went ahead but and there I, is there is because I think when you did that interview with Johnny, there are definitely components of things in here. This is probably the closest I would say to. I yeah. mean, granted, we have the we we have the um, ingredients on the labels and stuff, but I would say this is the closest to really how to make certain things, and um, very very well done. And uh, so, why? I mean, I, I guess I, I know why, but in your opinion, um, like the pomade, yeah. who would have thought pomade would have been in the rugged life? But hey, man, still hair oil, pomade, coconut oil, shampoo, how to make it all, how to do it all. I mean, this is just absolutely. Um, shaving soap, body wash, um, lip balm, which is important, especially if you're in some of those uh, drier climates that are trying to kill you. Um, so, what was your what was your thought process and inspiration for, um, I guess, grooming products while while off the you know because Johnny Slicks is a uh, sponsor uh, of this podcast, so might as well talk about it. What was your uh, yeah. inspiration? Yeah, if you're gonna, if you can't make it, you buy Johnny Slicks like I do. Um, <laughs> The, the interestingly enough the the hygiene aspect is important for anybody who lives off grid like hygiene is everything to prevent disease to prevent illness any of that any of those things you do not want that to happen or invade your family if you live completely self-sustained in the middle of nowhere so that's the first key and that's why it's important now, some of the luxury type items, you know, like let's face it, pomade is a luxury item. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, I had a ghostwriter, and this chapter is solely on her. I have to give it to her. Oh, like, wow. I, I didn't think about it. I was like, eh, you know. But she was thinking, she's a female, yeah. and she was thinking more from the family. We're at home. We need things to do when, you know, the weather's bad. Um, these are projects that families can do together, regardless, once again, it doesn't matter where you live, but it's also to show the power of the coconut oil, uh, all of these things that you know better than I do that are sitting in people's cabinets and they think it's just for cooking 
or they think it's just for you know. Oh, it's one of um, the coconut oil is one of the most healing oils that you can and, and that you can right. use. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, she was smart enough to kind of see what I didn't as a dude. Like I'm like, what homemaking? Be your own homemaker? Like who the hell wants to do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no. She she put pretty much uh, all those line items in there, and and I I remember specifically when she brought up like shampoo, conditioner, pomade, and uh, one of the others. Hair oil. I said. Yeah. Uh, shave I soap. said you know you even did shave soap. Which is smart. The shave soap. Now, yeah. I, I would love Johnny to to uh, cross check those um, ingredients and all that um, because yeah, that I'll was get, I'll get him to do that. That was yeah. Her she did the research on that one on all those. Uh, but and I was thankful because it kind of added a uh, an important part that I would have forgotten if she hadn't stepped in but, on that one. But it's a good point because like even your like you even got like how to cut your own hair and how to stay you know stay clean because yeah. You know, everybody thinks like, oh, you go to the off the grid and I turn into what was it? Tom Hanks on uh, Castaway. And that's and, <laughs> yeah. and that actually can get you can get like abscesses and, and you can get dirt and things that are in there that will cause infection. So, you know, cutting your hair, you know, keeping, you know, keeping your beard shorter. Um, these are things that are yeah. in, a, in that kind of environment that you're living in. Um, where you're not taking, you know, two warm showers a day and living in a in a bubble um, can affect you. And these that's things. Right. And these things will do do keep you clean and keep you, uh, but it, uh, absolutely great job. Um, and I'm just glad. Well, get, I, I appreciate th- that coming from you guys. I had to throw the um, Johnny Slicks in yeah. there. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd love to, like I said, I'd love to hear his input. But the other piece to this whole thing that also um, she brought up, and even the families did, is morale, right? Okay. Morale is a big deal when you're kind of just you and your family and you're together all the time. So morale is feeling good. Morale is looking good. And it applies to every kind of lifestyle. You know, if I'm looking good and I'm feeling good, then I'm probably going to work a little bit harder that day. Yeah. Right. And then knowing that at the end of the day, there are some products that I made that are going to, you know, wash all the dirt away and reset me, recharge me mentally and emotionally so that I can now do the next day and the next day because that morale piece is huge, whether it's, you know, making shampoo together as a family or, um, and then the actual use of it, all of it combined is all about maintaining, you know, that, that mental focus, um, when you're being self, self-reliant, self-sufficient. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, like kind of seer school, right? Like keeping a positive attitude and, um, in a survival environment, right. When we're out there doing our survival yeah. stuff. It was that was one of the big lessons is like, hey, listen, you have to stay positive in these environments because otherwise, if you allow yourself to go down the negative rabbit hole, I mean, essentially that's that could kill you. Instead of just yeah. being staying positive, finding the finding the small wins in the days, um, like you said, like just making a product with your family and then getting all to wash your hair. That's a fucking win. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, it is. What'd you do today? We or remember us. Yeah. Remember right. what like our deployments. Like right. you know. Sometimes the only reward, at least for me, was the shower at the end of the day. It was the hot shower. <laughs> like, it's funny. I tell people it. that all today. I mean, I'm 40 years old. Um, you're a little you're a little older than me. But still to this day, man, a hot shower. And I'm like, every hot shower, I'm like, I'm thankful for this hot shower. 
Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Vice just like standing, oh, yeah, standing in the desert with some cold water bottles, just pouring them over you. You know what I mean? It's just shit. Um, but yeah. nonetheless, a, a warm shower, warm, clean shower at the end of the day. God, that just, that's just the best. Still thankful for that. It's it is. Things. So it is. Um, the rugged life. Uh, this episode comes out next Monday. So is the rugged life available? It uh, May tenth. It's on. It's on on shelves. Uh, May tenth across across. Uh, well, and, across it. <laughs> and online. Let's see. Let's check the calendar. Uh, yeah, it's online. So hold on. Let's look at this, and then we. Well, can then we'll launch this. On, if it's the tenth, then we'll oh, yeah. launch this on the tenth. This will be the. So today, as you're listening to this, the, okay. ru- the rugged life is available, and you can go pick up yourself a copy, and you should. You absolutely should because it's a badass book. And if you own the other books, you know that they're badass as well. And you should you should add this to the arsenal. Um, what else? What else? Where can people find you? Yeah, ClintEmerson.com has the whole little ecosystem. You'll see the books there and all the different links. So if you don't like buying stuff on Amazon, Target, Walmart, I mean, basically every brick and mortar has picked up on this book. Um, so... You can literally get it anywhere, along with all the other books. You know, so, but the easy button is Amazon. And if you like, if you like this, you're definitely gonna like his uh, other his brand, Violent Nomad. Um, he's got some really great T-shirts there. Anything, anything going on with Violent Nomad these days? No, I mean we're uh, you know things continue to pick up. Um, the brand evolves. I mean, it's really the Violent Nomad is you know for for those that are getting it done on their own. You could be an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur and you're a violent nomad. If you're, you know, you like to drive fast and your hair on fire, then you're a violent nomad. <laughs> if, uh, you know, it, it's really just, you know, it's, it's broadening and then starting to be applied to so many other areas that I would have never thought of. It's customers that, that drive the train, as you know. So yeah. I just, uh, I'm just trying to keep up with their ideas and, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, uh, everything they throw back at me. His, his violent nomad shirts are the best one one of the best ones but i tried to look i tried to find it for this podcast was because of the date may the may the fort may the force be with you um oh yeah and uh, that's right I, I couldn't find that shirt i don't know you're jedi i need to send you guys a new uh got a whole bunch of new designs what are yes. you extra large uh i'm an extra large yeah and what's johnny he's large large yeah yeah okay i'm sitting at a, a, i'm sitting at a, one into a rough 215 these days a lean, yeah, you a, guys are doing good, a man. Lean, a lean two two fifteen. Um, I thought about signing up for your agogi. Uh, the challenge, just to, just to do it. Yeah, man, yeah. you should. Let just me to know. See. Just, just to see. Maybe you tell me how I can do things better. It's a kick in the dick. I'll tell I you. Would... If you're if you're ready for a kick in the dick, <laughs> but it's thirty days. You can get kicked in the dick for thirty days. And then, how many hours does it require each day? Um. It depends on your speed, I guess. Um, but there's there's some caps. But probably, you know, overall, there's like some 20-minute walks. We want you to go walk. We want you to take your girlfriend out on a walk. You know what I mean? Go walk yeah. the wife. Go walk the girlfriend. Go walk the daughter. Um, but then, yeah. like, actual training, it's probably all in all with the walks. I mean, an hour. Now, as you get closer huh. to the end of the challenge, there are some, like, benchmark workouts that are, like, yeah. you know, grueling that's going to take you an hour or more. Um but the other day to day is just like getting that motion in every day, you know, doing something. So some of the workouts are like 12 minutes, but then there's like, at the end of the day, it's like after dinner, go on a 20 minute walk. You know what I mean? 
something like that. Yeah. So, but but the eating is the biggest part, right? The eating, you know, getting people to not eat garbage and to go to single source ingredient foods. We build out a nutrition plan for them, and for them to consistently eat healthy, that's what really does it in the thirty days. You know, you're yeah, getting them to exactly. you're getting them to move more, and you're getting them to eat healthier for thirty days, and that's really where the change comes into play. Yeah. Right. I think that's the 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 what's that tagline I heard years ago? You know, abs are carved in the kitchen. That's right. That's right. Um, yep. People people want to believe it's like hormones and 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 peptides and all these different things. And it's like, bro, I've been on <laughs> yeah. I've been on testosterone for ten years, <laughs> and I've been I've been chubby on testosterone and I've been lean on testosterone. And the only difference that all comes into play is what I'm doing in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. So yeah. Well, Clint, that's cool, man. I Clint, might do it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you so much for coming on here, guys. Go get the damn book, man. Go buy the book. Uh, the links are below in the show notes. Go follow Clint Emerson. Uh, check out Violent Nomad. The guy is an absolute freaking warrior um, and just a really smart dude. And he's looking at me he's so handsome as well. Um, I mean, all I think it's a requirement yeah. to be a Navy SEAL. Um, but anyways, Clint, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, and you guys go screenshot this. And uh, in the in the day the the life that we're living in now and the world we're living in now, um, people need to hear this. So screenshot this, tag Clint, tag myself. And other than that, thanks, Clint. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. Love you guys. See you in the next episode.